Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hoopstradamus podcast today. We're kicking off the closure series and we have a special guest, C Red Fred on Twitter. Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you doing? Oh, I'll let me be here, Adam. I'm really uh, looking forward to a beautiful day finally. It seems like weather-wise it's going to be a good day here in Chicago. Going to enjoy a lot of basketball today and uh, hopefully uh, you know, get some time out with the kids. How about you? Oh, I, I goodness. Doing, I, I'm doing great. Gonna gonna go hang out with uh, my friend. Shout out to Darren. Known that guy since I was 12. And we're gonna hang out with uh, him and his wife and his dog. Probably play a little uh, touch football or something. Uh, got a nice little squad together. And it's uh, mid-60s here in Chicago. Just a great day to be outside. And uh, Memorial Day weekend. You really can't ask for anything better than that. No doubt. Uh so before we get into the nitty gritty here, why don't you just tell everybody where they can find your work and a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So you can find me at uh, Chicago bullseye.com, uh, the big red bus also, which is uh, sponsored through or, or actually produced by shy city sports are the two places you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at CBE Fred as in Chicago bullseye, Fred CBE Fred, or just search for C red Fred and you'll find me. Uh, I, I Twitter's, probably my preferred uh, medium of choice when it comes to communicating with other Bulls fans and debating topics. It's where you usually find me. I also am on Instagram too, but uh, you know, basically just been grew, grew up in Chicago, South side of Chicago and in the Southwest burbs eventually. And uh, just been a Bulls fan my entire life, a little bit older than most Bulls fans. I'm in, you know, my forties, I'll say that. So I, I rem- I'm old enough to remember all six titles. The Bulls have brought me more joy than any other team in the city. Um, I have an intense devotion to this team and, uh, you know, I just basically love debating about the, the beloved. And I think there are great things on, on the horizon, uh, but obviously this is a key summer. No doubt this season was disappointing, but uh, overall, I think there are better, better days ahead. That's a perfect way to put it. If you ask me and I share some similar thoughts, this is certainly a pivotal time in the Bulls story of their franchise really and they've done a lot of things right i think that bringing in ak was the first step in that right direction and it's really interesting as you look at this past season because a lot of people might say it's a disappointment that's not necessarily how i see it Uh, but what are your thoughts on the bulls franchise at this particular juncture i think it's probably the most uh probably discounted or just the ignored franchise sleeping giant that there is in the NBA, NBA horizon. There's to me really four flagship franchises. That's the Knicks, the Celtics, the Lakers and Bulls. I think everybody else outside of those four, um, you know, when you look at the history of the league is really kind of searching for, to achieve the, the, the greatness that those four franchises, I mean, the Knicks really haven't achieved anything, but still they are what I would consider to be a flagship franchise. They have a right. very devoted following. The bulls are a world brand due to Jordan and what happened in the nineties. And that still reverberates to this day as we saw with the last dance. So I think it's just the most slept on franchise in the league. And, you know, that's had, had a lot to do since the trade in 2017 and just the fact we've been rebuilding, mm. but um you know, three years of a rebuild is to me not where we were was not uh, anything to you know be disappointed about. This season was, however, I, I expected the Bulls to be better. 
they weren't for a variety of reasons. But, uh, you know, I still I, I do support the move again, Vucevic. I wish they didn't have to take a menu in that deal. It's a killer mm. contract. It's and, awful. And really, yeah, it restricts a lot of what you want to do. Um, but uh, big picture, though, I still am pretty excited uh, to see what uh, our tourist is going to do with this team. So, you know, I have not – I think there's a lot of fans that are younger than me that for whatever reason feel like the – especially the last 20 years have been miserable. I do not agree with that. I I lived through the cross years. That's a, a whole other level of misery to, to go from where we were with Jordan winning the sixth title in 98 and going through the, the pure hell of going, you know, I can kind of consider it if people say the worst thing that happened to a person is if you become extremely wealthy and just lose it all and become destitute. Cause you know, if you start out destitute, you don't really know what being wealthy is. That's how I felt like what we went through as bulls fans that win six titles, be living on the, you know, living all our dreams in terms of having a team in Chicago that you could be really proud of and then go through the cross years, just the arrogance and to watch what that guy did. It was disgusting, you know. I mean, we didn't even win 20 games some seasons. Like, people are complaining about some of the recent years we had. I think there were seasons where we won 15 games. It's like, it's not even in comparison with the last three or four years have been to what I experienced in those Kraus years. Pax gets hired. I thought turned things around incredibly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had his the five years, which I would argue are could be the best in the history of Chicago sports where he drafted uh, Noah at nine in 2007, Rose at one in 2008, Taj in 26 in 2009, hired Tom Thibodeau in 2010 and drafted Jimmy Butler in 2011 at 30. Those five years were the apex of, uh, you know, what he was able to bring uh, John Paxson and, and Gar Foreman to a much lesser extent and things gradually, gradually declined to the point where, you know, it was time to go. Yeah. But, um, There's a lot of bad you know, luck. It, it was too. time. It was. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's, it's hard to describe. I, I, I wouldn't even describe it bad. That's another thing I think is a little bit understated. People don't realize the level of bad luck. The Bulls actually, I pulled this stat out or, or found this one. The Bulls actually uh, led or were tied in the playoff series um, five times when they endured a loss of a starter. So that usually happens like once, twice, maybe three times is, is bad luck. Five times. You know, of course, in 2012, the Rose, but people oh. forget two games later, Noah hurt his ankle, was out for the rest of that series. Another starter, that's the second time. Dang, the following season became ill uh, against the Nets. That's the third time. The fourth time occurred when Paul Gasol was hurt with the Bulls up 2-1 in a key series in the, in the conference semifinals against the Cavs. And then the fifth time was when Rondo broke his thumb with the Bulls mm. up 2-0. So that kind of, over a seven-year period, it's just unheard of in NBA history. Will never be replicated again. Uh, so you, I think we should all have to take solace that that kind of bad luck can't continue. That's a good point. And, you know, I'm uh, considerably younger. I was born in 91, uh, actually real close to the, the the family legend is my dad held me up to the window at Rush Hospital and said, that's where Michael Jordan plays, you know. And so uh, mm-hmm. I, I was really yeah. raised in that 90s ball. And uh, I've certainly done my homework. Uh, don't remember it as well, but I was, you know, rooting for him out of the womb, literally, you know, uh, but I remember those Tim Floyd years really well. And, uh, you know, it was, it was painful. It was yeah. so bad. And I honestly think some of those teams, they did have some talented players, uh, some knuckleheads. I loved Ron Artest. He was my favorite bull. 
Uh, he, he just locked down on defense. He was a crazy person, but I love the intensity he would play with, uh, you know, Elton brand, Brad Miller it was awesome. Yeah. Jamal Crawford. Yeah. Like they were all future all-stars and, uh, we didn't quite know yet how special some of those guys would be. But, uh, anyway, uh, still a, a fun young team. And then Paxton, it's interesting to kind of look at his legacy because people remember with a lot of vitriol towards the end there about the, the disappointment of, you know, the, the Derek Rose trade or the Rondo in Wade years, which are or year rather, which was interesting. Cause like you said, they were up to, Oh, uh, but people just wanted Paxson out so badly at the end. But at the same time, this guy hit a game winning shot to win a championship. This guy has made some of the best multiple picks. times. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. In 2001, I mean, in 1991, obviously you don't remember that was here. You were born. If you go watch that series again against the Lakers in the deciding game five, he was fantastic in that game. Jordan hit him consistently. And I think he had 20 points in that game. And then obviously, an underrated the 93 shot that that three-pointer is arguably the most underrated shot in the history of the bulls because there's a number of my friends like to point out if he misses that shot you know there's a good chance the bulls don't win game seven against phoenix that was a very good very good team right and they just were not it was a very difficult rough schedule and in, in uh that specific finals with all the outside distractions going on was very hard. It was just a huge shot. And, uh, you know, him hitting that three is just, it's unbelievable. And, you know, everything that happened after that, um, you know, was just, he, he had a huge impact on the history team. People also forget he was a coach on the 72 win team. So to me, right. he was uniquely positioned to become a GM and he did a great job as a GM, at least for the first decade. But, you know, I agree with others. I'm a huge John Paxson fan. I think he's a great guy and I think uh, it, he's unfairly criticized in the city, but I agree it was time to go, which is you, when you're there that long and things were not working out, especially at the end and the nail in the coffin was a hire of Jim Boylan, who was just a complete buffoon. Oh, just a, but uh, yeah, but I mean, I still believe in a couple of the players that he dra- I believed in the Butler trade. I, I love Zach Levine. I think he's going to be even better. He's gotten better every year. So I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited and bullish and, you know, until Zach Levine and Kobe White and some of these other players that he acquired go, he's still going to have his fingerprints on, you know, whatever this team becomes. I, but I, I will would. point out, I, I just do, I do want to quickly point out, like, it, it, anybody feels like this year and last year was that, but you have no comprehension of what that is. Like, 2000, is it 2000, uh, that 2000, 2001 team what, was 15 and 67. I remember in that Tim Floyd coaching him, I remember going to the gym before a game, and I always love going to watch players warm up for like two hours early just to see, you know, what guys do, look at their routine, see who's good. I still remember looking at Michael Ruffin, who was oh, a power boy. forward on that team. Yeah. He took about 15 straight 10 to 12 foot jumpers from like the left elbow, and he missed every one. And I just remember looking like over at my friend, I'm like, there's no, there's absolutely no hope. How anybody could see this guy. Put him on the roster. I mean, guys, I know he ended up playing, had quasi average NBA career, but I mean, it was just a joke. We're just putting a watch of some talent like that. These guys didn't even hit a jump shot. Horrible, horrible period as a Bulls fan. And what we're going through now is nothing like that, uh, that hell. 
Yeah, that's definitely true. There's a really funny clip. Michael Ruffin, when he was on the Wizards, tosses the ball up in the air in a playoff game, have you? And uh, as time's running out, just to kind of run out the clock, and the other team gets it. I can't remember who they were playing, but they win the game. They they catch it and get an easy three and win, and the, the Wizards lose the game. Uh, Ruffin, man, he was he was rough. He lived up to the name. Uh, and it was it was tough to see Ron Mercer is the the best scoring option on the Bulls some of those years, but uh, so oh, I agree. Ron Mercer, yeah, <laughs> you don't, what you a don't nightmare bringing that guy up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, anyway, pain. transitioning into this team, uh, I do think that going into the season we didn't know what kind of moves were going to be made. Uh, Wendell Carter, of course, winds up being moved. I felt like normally my Judgment on a team is based on wins and losses. This year it was more based on progress. They had a little bit of bad luck this year with uh, Levine right after the Vucevic trade, but the success of this particular season for me was measured on how are they getting themselves in a position to win in the future. And while they didn't miss the, they did miss the playoffs and that's extremely disappointing I do think that they did a very good job uh, setting themselves up for success long-term. I think Patrick Williams looks really good. I'm still a little iffy on Kobe White, but I'm certainly not selling at this point. But they're starting to construct a team that makes more basketball sense to me, and especially when you look at what the Bulls were doing in the preseason, especially with Wendell Carter and trying to get him more looks from the three-point line you could see that they wanted to stretch the floor a little bit more than they were capable of doing with their roster construction at that time. You bring in Vucevic, who is honestly playing some of the best basketball of his career. And I think he's been a diamond in the rough for a long time, even before he was in all-star consideration. I think he, he should have been, he has been a really good center for a good six, seven years now. And one of the better all around centers in the league, a really good passer, a high IQ player. And so I like them bringing him in. And I think you start to see the pieces coming together, but the puzzle is certainly still missing uh, pieces of the picture. And so what do you think of that current construction right now as we head into this bulls off season? Well, you know, I'm beyond, I'm, I can't even describe how excited I am about the future for Zach Levine and Vucevic together. Mm-hmm. I think as a pick and roll uh, threat, those two players, we, we just saw barely saw what they can accomplish. I think they played under 15 games together and you know, people were all disappointed after, after the results of the trade. And I agree completely, but they hardly, again, they hardly played together, hardly played together. I think their record was six and eight um, together you know, had no time to really mesh, but you could see very early when they did run that pick and roll that eventually it's just going to be an unstoppable play. It's going to be like, you know, Stockton and Malone where you, you can't defend it. If you have a player like Vucevic can destroy you from the outside from three and Zach can shoot from three, no matter what, you're going to get some type of mismatch or some type of option through that play that will demand a double team that will then need to be punished by the other team players on this team. So, I think right away I'm excited to see where that goes. Those two players are just going to be incredible offensively. And Zach has gotten better every single year. And just when you think he can get any better this year, become an all-star, I think it's possible for him to take another jump and become a top-ten player in this league. 
And how do you do that? By either being top three in scoring or learning to facilitate a little bit better. But I think it's entirely possible that can be accomplished through Zach Levine because he's done it every year. He's gotten better and added parts of his game and improved his deficiency. So I, I just think that the, the, the sky's the limit for Zach. And I'm, I can't wait to see where he's going to be next year. The issue is, is like, what, what do you put around those players since – um, Vucevic and Levine are, are never going to be elite defensive, the defensively. I think that's where our biggest, you know, problems lie is we have to get more good perimeter or point of attack defenders. Mm-hmm. I think the acquisition of Vucevic actually lessened the need for a point guard. People just seem to be just solely focused on. And I agree. Like if we can get Mike Conley, get Mike Conley. He's going to help all that ails us, but it's not just on the offensive end. It's on the defensive end. That's where I think the bigger issues are around Zach and Vucevic. Zach and Vucevic, Zach and Vucevic are going to be, you know, handling the ball. And Vucevic is such a good facilitator that, again, it's not going to be as important to me that we have some type of, uh, you know, typical point guard who's going to handle the ball and facilitate for others. Yeah, it would help. But I don't think it's as big of a need as it is to get more really good defensive players around those two uh, uh, to optimize where this team can go. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you there. That's I've had similar uh, conversations uh, with apparently a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sean Sierra on SportsZone Chicago. That's the first thing I brought up uh, is especially AK having been in Denver, you kind of see shades of him believing in having a a big man facilitator a la Nikola Jokic with uh, Vucevic. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially considering – that's how some of the best teams are doing it, whether that be the Bucks, who did just get swept. But I think that, you know, the Bucks are a, a great franchise and they've had a lot of success. Uh, what they're doing with Bam Adebayo. And then you can see what Milwaukee did with Giannis, who really kind of plays all five positions. And then uh, Nikola Jokic, obviously a great passing center. And so it, the game's moving away from having a traditional point guard. And what you're saying about Levine and Voos, as far as defense goes, I, I couldn't agree more because that's where Patrick Williams is going to be super key. Having a versatile defender who can guard one through four, and he's already a really good defender, but he needs to get better. He needs to be a star defensively on this team for them to really succeed. And because you have your two best offensive players, as I'd say, question marks at this point on the defensive end, you need to surround them with really good defenders at all times. I think uh, Thad Young definitely helps, but your power forward, small forward, and point guard all need to be really good defensively. And as I look at this team, and you mentioned Mike Conley, and he could be this guy, I think they need a stabilizing presence, especially on the defensive end. And the Bulls' offense really kind of dipped down after the all-star break, which was disappointing, they were averaging for a while the most points per game in franchise history, just under 116 points per game. You got to go all the way back to, I think it was 1971-72 season or something like that when they were uh, flirting with those kind of numbers. But the offense kind of dipped down, but the defense was bad all year. And so what can you do and what kind of players do you want to look at to try to stabilize that? And it's not just about that one player being a really good uh, defender, but that player kind of being a defensive coordinator and the 
easy person to look at here is someone like Draymond Green, who's going to call out spots and he's going to say, hey, this is what they're going to try to do. Uh, Rondo's a, another guy who does a great job with that. I'm not saying the Bulls, I actually don't want the Bulls to go after either. That would be egregious. But someone like that who's going to be able to bring up the IQ of some of these younger players and help them develop defensively because right now is as electric as it could be offensively. If you throw Kobe white into a lineup with Levine and Vucevic, then you have three potential liabilities on defense. And I like Kobe white a lot. I think you could bring him off the bench, but you're too weak defensively. If you <laughs> have those three question marks starting together and in a game where offense has become more and more important, we're not the Brooklyn Nets and we're not going to be able to get away with just outscoring teams. No, I think we can come close though. Like I I don't think it's going to take that much. Like, you know, I will push back a little bit on Patrick Williams as a defender. Patrick Williams has an immense amount of talent. He's got incredible amount of physical skills. He's he had one of the highlights of the year in that, that block, I can't remember what game that was, but I, I mean, everybody, I'm sure, as soon as I mentioned it, will remember that play. He was not good. To me, he was not good defensively okay. this year on, on that perimeter. I don't think he was – I thought he was – you know, I think he at times was decent, but people would always like be like, oh, man, he's playing the best players. And, well, first of all, that's not always true. Like, he wasn't – for whatever reason, he wasn't uh, uh, um, on Tatum. They, they put – you know, they, they actually put uh, in those games Temple on him. He wasn't on Chris Paul. You know, it, the reason why he was on a lot of the best players on other teams is because, in general, that small forward, power forward position in the NBA is where Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler and a lot of the best players in the league, you know, reside, right? So that's why, and he was our best option. We really didn't have that many other great options. So we would just throw him on there. But I like, I, I constantly got confused about the narrative about how good he was defensively. You know, I'd be coaching my son and I'd, I'd be on Twitter, oh, he's guarding Kawhi. And then I'd go home and watch the game and I'm like, Kawhi's getting whatever he wants on him, you know, which is expected. He's 19 years old, but he wasn't great defensively. Like he had – Kawhi scored 35 on him a season high up that point was 36. Mm-hmm. You know, so people were scoring on him. I'm, I don't think he's that good on the perimeter. I think at the four, he's significantly better significantly better because then his physical attributes and his speed and those things will make him better at that position over most of the players who play at the four. But I thought he had a ton of issues on quicker, fast threes. I remember even Joe Harris in that game. He, he was a matchup for whatever reason. Joe Harris quite a bit was beating him off the dribble. It's just like, uh, I mean, you, you know, he's going to be good, right? So I'm not right. worried about it. I think his floor is much higher, but I don't think he had a particularly good year. I think he was a big reason the starter struggled, um, you know, and I, I'm not as high on, on Patrick Williams as, as many other players are. I do think he has an incredible amount of skill and talent and he could be a great player, but I think there's a lot of warning signs about his game so far that maybe he'll just have a high floor and just be a good rotation player. Like I say, I think he's closer to Marvin Williams, who, if you look at his oh. history, didn't start in college, didn't start in college, but he was, he had a long, good, good NBA career. He yeah. just retired last year. But he's not – I think he's a lot closer to Marvin Williams than he is to uh, Kawhi Leonard, which I just think was ridiculous. So how many times I read, you know, he's got Kawhi Leonard ability. Anybody who's drafted in the top ten is going to have a ton of ability. It's like I don't I, – I don't, I, I don't think we should be celebrating that. What does he show 
that you think he can do extremely well. He obviously has physical skills being incredible for, can handle the ball, he can pass. He can hopefully eventually develop the ability to score, and he shot the ball very well from three. Yeah, All way better than I good, expected. Way better than I expected. That's what I'm excited about. What I'm not excited about is he absolutely disappeared in, for, for large portions of the game, especially when Zach Levine left for COVID protocol, and I expected significantly more out of him to improve in the sec- second half of the season, and I thought he got worse. So – you know, um, I know people say I'm a hater because I'm saying it. I'm just calling it like it is. He wasn't great. And, and, and every advanced metric shows that he was not. But again, yes, I understand. He's 19 and he's young, so I'm not expecting him to be great. But I'd rather have Halliburton on this team. I'd rather have Isaac Coro on this team. Um, so let's hope that he improves significantly because uh, I, I think he is, without a doubt, the key to where this team goes if he does not improve and he just continues to just drift in and out of games, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You can't afford to miss in terms of developing really into a super team. Right? No, no, absolutely not. Especially when there's a Halliburton pick, you know, after that. So we'll see what happens. Well, of, of course, I hope you're wrong. I hope he does turn into Kawhi Leonard. Only time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, he, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be quite Leonard. I'll, I'll stay. I'm comfortable to say that. All right. but I want him to be an all star. He's got all star yeah. talent, right? You know, he can he can do that. But uh, it, to me, his play this year, like it was pretty much what was it was kind of like I kind of compared to like a overbearing parents with a baby. Oh my god, he just. He just stood up and talked like it was like such a joke. <laughs> yeah, over. Well, the, fr- the uh, fan- people were overstating so the things he was you know? doing. I'm like, hmm. what's that? The, well, the what's fan is—they're just desperate for someone to love. They're like, "Did you see that mid-range? Did you see that mid-range? Yeah. It was an incredible <laughs> mid-range." <laughs> Kawhi well, shoots let mid-range. Me just, let me just... Michael Jordan shot mid-range. <laughs> oh, he's the next Kawhi Jordan. Yeah. You know, yeah, it escalates quickly. <laughs> yeah. Let me, uh, let me just I, I i guess the best the best example i got is look at what kobe white did for the last 11 games of his rookie year where he averaged basically 24 points kobe white's rookie year was significantly better than patrick williams here not only that laurie Markinen's rookie year was significantly better than what he, he doubled his at points output and he was if people go back and recall how excited we were about laurie Markinen, thought we got dirk and, you know with a didn't drive. work out yeah it, it didn't, it didn't work out. I don't understand why I should be more excited about Patrick Williams than I was about Laurie Markkinen. Um, but we'll see. You know, who knows? What do you think about this offseason? I'm wrong on this one. Oh, I mean, uh, I, I hope that Markkinen, you know, stays and turns into an all-star. Williams turns into an all-star, and they put five all-stars in in uh, 2023. But we'll see. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned Mike Conley. And uh, also, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned – Patrick Williams kind of moving into the four position because I I think that speaks for the way the game's changing right now and having just forwards. It's not a power forward and a small forward the way it used to be. It's having two forwards and a lot of those guys got to do some ball handling. That's a whole different conversation. But looking at the Bulls right now, what kind of moves would you like them to make in the offseason? And this is an intentionally loaded question because it does encompass uh, your comments on Mike Conley. It does encompass your comments on Laurie Markkinen and then any other players, whether that be uh, to continue to double down on the identity it looks like they're building or uh, just trying to get better as a basketball team. Yes. 
boys. It's well, here's it all well, all comes down to this, right? There's a 20% chance we get a top four pick. Right. I mean, if you get that, that solves all your problems. Like immediately. It's a loaded I mean, draft if class. you get one of these top four players, specifically Suggs, who I love, or you know, Kate Cunningham, you, you can't be disappointed with any of them. But Suggs, for example, is to me better than anybody. I, I would I would want him more than any player out there, you know, even right now. I think he's going to be that good as a point guard uh, on both ends of the floor. So, you know, I think we should all focus as a fan base on that. If that doesn't happen, and you got to assume it's not, it's only a one in five chance. There's an eighty percent chance we're not going to get it. But if it doesn't happen, well, then well, let's get to work. What are we going to do? Well, everybody wants Lonzo Ball. That's the biggest discussion point out there now. I think he'll be available. Um, not exactly sure why not. And I do have concerns for as to why the Pelicans are so seem to be so inclined to get rid of him because he seemed to have a good year. But if you look deeper into his numbers, like the last 30 games, I think he shot about 35% from three. He's like, he's gotten better as a shooter. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. In fact, I wouldn't even thought about touching him uh, uh, before this year. He had a, around a 50% free throw, free throw percentage, which for a point guard is just an abomination for a guy who's supposed to be handling the ball down the stretch of close games and you're a liability at the free throw line, want nothing to do with you. But uh, he improved that significantly. Good sign. Improved his three-point percentage significantly. Good sign. If you really get deep into the numbers, highly uh, consistently inconsistent is the way I put it. A lot of games where he was like 7 of 13, 7 of 14, and then a lot of games where he was 1 of 9, 1 of 8. You know, big picture, he improved his three-point percentage overall. He hardly oh. played point guard down the stretch. They handed, they handed it to Zion. Zion was the point guard for the most part. He was playing off ball. Um, I, you know, to me, if I had a choice between him going after him, and I think he's going to cost you between 20 and $23 million a year. Yeah. I, I, I'd immediately like, I'd, I feel fine getting him at 16, 18 million. All right. All right. That's fine. But you know, 20, to, if he goes for 23 million a year, I mean, gosh, do you feel comfortable? That pretty much wraps up your cap with Vucevic. Levine and Lonzo Ball. I don't feel great about that coming out of the. It's a it's a huge gamble. Whereas to me, I think Conley is a far superior player, and I think he'll be a far superior player for the next three years. I would go after Conley, who shoots over forty percent from three point range off the ball, who can play off the ball, who I think is just as good as a defender, even as advanced age at thirty three. Who's a better who's a better player? He's just a better basketball player to me than Lonzo Ball is. So, I who makes every free throw. He's got a much significantly better free throw percentage. I'd rather have Conley on a shorter timeline than Ball for the next four years. Um, one other thing about Ball, which is a big negative, which is a huge problem with the Bulls, is he never gets to the free throw line. He never yeah. does. I think he's he averaged, averaged one point two than... free throw attempts last year. Yeah, yeah, one point two free throw attempts last year and. You know, uh, never been on a winning team, had a ton of talent this year, is, the, what, the third or fourth best player. Didn't make the playoffs. I understand it's the West a lot harder, and you can make the same argument about Zach Levine. I don't know. I, I'm just not really high in paying him $22 million plus. I There's a lot of good things he does, but I think his defense is a little bit overrated. I think his passing in the half court is absolutely overrated. His playmaking is overrated. But, you know, he does bring – as an on-ball defender, he'd be a tremendous help. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely not one of the ball boys. I definitely don't feel like 
he's going to make this team way better if we acquire him. He would improve the team. I'd prefer to just if if it's going to cost us twenty three million, I'd say hard pass. Have I, I, I'm fine going back with Kobe. I think Kobe played better down the stretch after Bucevic was here. And the reason for that, you don't need a traditional point guard. You look what Arturis did in Denver. You know, with everything that went on there, with the, with their um, their situation, Jamal Murray's not a traditional point guard. He's you can make the argument that Kobe White is a is an extremely destitute man or poor man's Jamal Murray. They're very similar kind of type of players. Jamal Murray's you know significantly better, but I I, I enjoy. I thought the progress from Kobe White was pretty was pretty impressive, and I think he'll continue to get better due to his you know high work ethic. I, I'm excited to see where Kobe White's going to be next year. So. I'm not going to lose sleep if he ends up being our point guard to start next year. I understand the need. To me, the bigger need is on the perimeter, as a as a is uh, that at the three position. I don't think um, we ha- really have a true three on the team uh, this past year. I think we got to find somebody to play that position. I don't know who that's going to be. You know, maybe Tim Hardaway Jr. There's a couple of good options out there. Marta Rosen. Um, you know, just to throw some names out there, but you got to improve at that position and you got to hopefully find one more elite premier defender. I would also like to see Temple back. I thought he had, he was good for us. Yeah. Especially in the defensive end. So a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. Um, And, you know, the biggest thing is you got to hope Patrick Williams improves significantly. And I think that's possible. Play him at the four more often than not. And just try to find these kind of players like, uh, you know, hopefully on the, on the, on the, yeah, just on – not the guy in the big splashes. I, I don't think it's going to be – well, I mean, I'd like to see him go after Conley, do whatever it takes to get him. I think that would be a huge move, but we'll see if they do it or not. But, I mean, ball to me, I'm going to say a hard pass of $23 million. Well, What do you think? You know, I, I think that ball actually uh, showed that he is able to have a, a pretty good – I can't remember exactly what his catch-and-shoot three-point percentage was. I was trying to look that up on StatMuse, but to no avail – uh, but I think he is someone who can play well enough off the ball. I think that there's a good argument either way. I think Conley's going to be more expensive than Lonzo Ball. I think Lonzo Ball uh, and Conley makes the Bulls much better. Not, 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 not total, not total contract. Ball's going to be a four-year deal, and in, and Conley's going to be a two or three-year deal. Right, because Conley's. You know, so we're talking about total contract. Yeah, total contract is going to be he'll be less than that. So I, yeah. I think Conley's going to cost you between 26 and 30 million a year, three years ball will be a hundred could, could approach just under, you know, just under a hundred million. I think he, I think he's probably going to go for 23 million, maybe 24 million a year, four years. That's, that's insane to me for him. Yeah. I mean, I he, he's just to starting to show who he can be as a player and he, he has been wildly inconsistent. Uh, he's certainly a young option, and I think that that's a, a double-edged sword. You bring in a veteran, and it's more of that stabilizing presence that I mentioned earlier, but Lonzo Ball's 23. And so he does kind of fit the window for this team because they're not going to be contending for a championship next year, but hopefully they can do it down the line. Uh, Lonzo, I think was kind of unfair. He got labeled as a bust by a lot of people. He really was a pretty bad shooter, not like a struggling shooter, but a flat, bad, bad shooter coming into the league. His rookie year, he shot 30% from three, 45% from the free throw line. Uh, but this year he shot 37, eight from three and, uh, 78 from the line. 
And so he's continued to get better. I think defensively, it makes a lot of sense to have, uh, what is he like? Six, 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 seven. Uh, yeah, he's listed at six, six, one ninety. So you add a little bit more length and athleticism. I think that that helps. And the Pelicans did put him on a lot of the other team's best player. So it seemed like they Van Gundy really trusted him. But I, I think that there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. I don't think we necessarily have to go one way or the other. Conley's age is a concern to me, but like you said, it's just going to be a two to three year deal. Uh, I, I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. So not to give you a no answer here, but I'd be happy with either. And I think that if you do go after Lonzo ball, like I said, that's a big gamble, but I think that the potential payout is substantial because if Lonzo ball does pan out, if he does live up to the hype eventually, and people forget that these guys are coming out, you know, they're, they can't even legally get a beer, but he's starting to develop And not that it's the NBA, but I remember I, I went to DePaul a little bit later than a lot of my peers. And so I was 25 playing against, you know, uh, 20 and 21 year olds and intramurals. And I just remember thinking like, how am I so much better than these guys? And it was because I was a grown man, you know? And so Lonzo Ball's only 23 yeah. years old. And when he hits that athletic prime, he's going to be a lot better. And I would be very interested to see what he can do alongside Zach Levine, because he's definitely someone who has great vision of the floor, doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands as much as he used to. And so I think you could see a lot of success. And you mentioned the the pick and roll option with uh, Levine and Vucevic. Well, you throw in Lonzo ball and all of a sudden you have, whether it's ball or Levine, you have someone who's going to shoot around 40% on the perimeter. That's going to create more space on that pick and roll, whether that turns into a pick and pop. I think it gives the bulls a lot of uh, different ways that they can manipulate the defense. And one thing I do like about that move is it long-term, like I said, it kind of fits that window where hopefully all these guys are really, really good in three years and Vucevic has a game that's going to really age well, just because he is uh, not relying on his athleticism. He's got a high IQ. I expect him to be a double, double machine for the next, you know, four years of his career. I know we got to wrap it up around 11 o'clock here. And so uh, we'll, we'll start yeah. doing so, but uh, I, got, I got a few more minutes. I, I, can, I can go to 11 five here, but let okay. me just jump in though, like really quick on, on, uh, on, on ball, like something wanted to point out so i mentioned his consistently inconsistent like he's got to be able to shoot the three for us like it's going to be to me like that's an important attribute that especially for a guard you're going to be playing off ball with zach a lot stretch the floor a little bit you know and, and people were like oh yeah he was great last year he improved it no doubt he improved the 37 percent, which is acceptable his last seven games this is what i mean by consistently consistent he had a game where he was eight of 17 seven of 13 so two really excellent games from three. I want to point out his other three games. 0 for 8, 1 and 9, 4 for 13. Yeah. Well, if Fred's like, well, you're just pulling out a, a, a seven-game window. Well, let's look at his previous seven-game window than that. 0 of 7, 1 of 5. And then he had a game in that same, same window where he was 3 of 6 and 6 of 10. So it's either – I just got the sense going through his numbers, doing a deeper dive, was like, 
he's either going to play really well or play really bad. And that kind of inconsistency, I guess you could say, well, that's normal for a 23-year-old, uh, maybe. But to me, it's just maddening. Well, it would be and like I think spending he's a, lot a lot of money on a sports car that has performance issues, right? Yeah, you don't want to have to sure. take it to the mechanic all yeah. the time. And so it is interesting because you're pr- either going to have Lonzo Ball or Lowry Markkinen. And do you think Markkinen's back? Um, so this is another more difficult conversation. I don't believe in letting a player, I think people's criticisms of marketing went a little bit overboard. I lost, I fell out of Lori's army, uh, but you know, what does he do well? And people say, all he can do is shoot. You know, that's all he does. Well, he's 40, he was over 40% from three. That's a massive thing in today's NBA to have a big, who shots at a 40 plus, 40 plus percent rate, who I saw improvement in, in the post and taking advantage of matchups this season. Yes, he is a liability defensively, and I'm all, I agree, very disappointed in his defensive capabilities and what he did this year. But there is massive value to me in a player that can shoot that well who's a big. And so just letting that guy walk for nothing is a major failure on the part of the Bulls if that happens. I think it's a major failure. So – yeah, he doesn't fit next to Vucevic. I want to see him sign and traded, though, for something. You can't just I, – I, I think it's kind of bordering on crazy. How many really smart people I've heard say, just let him walk. What? Like, huh? He's yeah. gonna, somebody's going to sign him for $18 million a year probably, between $15 and $18 million a year. There's and I think that's fair market. because $15 and $18 million, bring him back. But if they got to pay him twenty five, hell no. No, no, agreed. So I agree with you, right? So somebody's going to overpay to that extent where, and I think somebody will. Year, yeah, it's got kings written I, all over it. Oh, oh I don't know, I, man. That would be a terrible move. Whoever did that, but you know, Bertans made fifteen million. That's what people are paying for bigs who can shoot like that. I think you know, sixteen, eighteen million is a fair price for Larry. And I think as the Bulls, you'd have to think long and hard about just matching it as an asset that you can trade later, you know, mm. so, you know, figure it out and move him later. I, I wouldn't be depressed if he was signed for that amount. I, I think, I, you know, people really just buried the kid. And I don't, I don't think it's insane to say that Laurie marketing could be a very good player in three years. Yeah. You know, this year is his fourth season in the NBA per 36 minutes. Cause I think we have to look at it. You can't look at him per game because the inconsistent yeah. minutes, they put him to the bench for a while. But per 36 minutes, uh, on eight attempts per game, shot a career-high 40% from three, and then uh, 19 points per game, which is pretty much in line which, with what he's done per 36 his entire career. Uh, it's actually exactly his career average is 19 points per 36 minutes. But he's shooting a career high or had a career high rather in field goal percentage, 48%. And so he is starting to become more consistent and what you can do if that does work with him and Vucevic to have twin towers who can shoot from three, that the only problem is that's another bad defender. Uh, but it does all of a sudden you have the poor man's like homeless man's Brooklyn nets, you know, cause the nets are really good. Uh, but what, what can you develop in a few years when these guys starting to get more into the prime of their career, when you have potentially four guys, when you go Vucevic, White, Levine, and Markkinen, who can give you 20 a game, all of a sudden the Bulls are just a super fun 
offensive team, it could get really interesting. So uh, I really, I guess I'm glad I'm not in the front office. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I'd love to hear what they're saying about what kind of moves they want to make and why. And I have a lot of trust in this front office right now because I like the moves they've made, but Holy cow. They have some uh, really difficult decisions to make before I let you go. I got to ask you uh, quickly. Let's take a look at the NBA playoffs. Um, I I'm really thinking the bucks beat the nets. Am I a crazy person? No, I love the bucks. I, I holidays impressed me so much. And uh, I I'm, I'm really excited to watch them play the nets. I think they're significant significantly better defensive team than the Nets. The right. only wild card here is Giannis's inability to hit free throws. It's like I, out of all the guys on the Nets now, I mean, on the Bucks now, I'm starting to – he's a guy I'm having more concerns about because just free throw shooting is so important at the end of closed games and making a difference in whether or not you're going to win. I do know this about the Nets. Every one of their big three players is going to get to the line, and when they do get to the line, they're going to hit the three at a very high rate. They're very good players. The Bucs, Giannis, I have zero confidence he's going to make big key free throws on the stretch. For that reason, um, you know, he, that's the only thing that's keeping me from picking them. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a great series no matter what. I love both those teams. But I did pick Philadelphia before the year also, too. I, I love okay. Philadelphia's perimeter defense. I think it's just incredibly elite. They finally have a real coach. And Bede's yeah. defensively incredible. Going to be great, man. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that Philadelphia team. I also, can't wait. The Seth Curry pickup, just all of a sudden they can space the floor again like they did with J.J. Redick. Uh, everyone talked about missing Jimmy exactly. Butler, missing his presence, but when you add Seth Curry, you have that elite three-point shooter, and all of a sudden Embiid has some room to operate down there. And so it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'd love to have you on again sometime soon. Uh, maybe talk some NBA playoffs. Uh, definitely talk some bowls uh, as the next season comes and things start to get so spicy. I love the NBA offseason. I like it better than Major League Baseball. You know, like they have live sports going on and I am just scrolling on Twitter waiting for the next bomb to drop. And so uh, things are always super exciting. Uh, thank you all for listening to the show. And if you're looking to get some graphic design work done, uh, our logo was made by the Wax Cowboy, Evan Buttress. You can slide in his DMs on Instagram at the Wax Cowboy. Uh, Fred, thank you so much for coming on. Any last words? No, just besides that, I think there's a great things on the horizon for the beloved bull. Uh, everybody stay true. And, you know, if uh, no reason to get upset uh, with what we've seen so far. I mean, you know, yeah, disappointed we didn't make the playoffs, but let's not forget, let's keep in perspective our two best players uh, only had less than 14 games together. And uh, I think we should be excited to see where our turf does this summer to make, uh, you know, a championship caliber basketball team uh, come here by 2023. Amen, brother. We'll see you next time, folks. Happy Hoop. Yeah. Great talking to you, brother. <laughs>